Hello, I'm DJ Evil Dave. And I'm Dr. Brandy's sexy voice. And you're listening to the Dark Corner Podcast. Brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records.com. Picking up after it's over. Shrapnel confetti soldiers. We've given all we've got. Sleep, walking, or waking. Days can be forsaken. Not Welcome back to the Dark Corner Podcast. Hi. Hello. We have a cat who's been very talky. Yes, and, and wanting to lick plastic. So much plastic. Wanting to lay on remote controls. That's what cats do best. He's super furry, even in the depths of summer. Yeah, and I don't think he's very happy about that, to be mm, honest. Nope. Sometimes he comes up to us and I think he's just begging to be brushed. <laughs> Please get this off me. Get it off. It's all coming off in clumps. Yeah, well, buddy. Yep. He's looking suitably, okay, fine, I'll do this for now, but I'm not going to stay here forever, sort of look. Yeah, he's sitting in between us at the moment. He likes to do that. I already got fur on my hand. Until he sees that fly again, and then his eyes will get really, really big, and he'll go a-hunting. You caught one last night, didn't you, buddy? He did. He caught and ate a fly. Well done. Big, juicy fly. Yum. Protein. And that is the most exciting intro we've ever done. Yes. Everybody needs Snoopy news. The the cat hunting the insects news well, he's, update. He's a ninja. A ninja cat that snuck up on you by about a foot. <laughs> he was sitting and just slowly blinking at us. And then we turned and looked back and he was a foot closer to us sitting and blinking slowly at us. And he was like sitting in the exact same way. That's the funny part. He's a creeping angel. Didn't you know that? Or a weeping angel. He's a creeping, weeping angel. Are you a creeping, weeping angel cat? He's a creeping, weeping Chris Angel. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Do not bring Chris Angel into this. He's going to mind freak you, and you know it. Ugh, fuck. Fuck Chris Angel. Sorry. <laughs> Do not care for Chris Angel. Anyway. Anyway, banter. Banter. Banter, banter, banter. Banter, banter. Uh, and banter. Banter, 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 banter. Yeah. Banter. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Oh, he's got his paws together. I know you like that. It's when he puts his paws like right side by side like this. Yes. You know, like he's... Like he's a praying mantis? Yes. Kind of like that. Which is really adorable when he does that. My goodness, I'm getting fur all over me. Yep. I have to clean out the brush and brush you again. We're going to have a whole other cat. Yeah, we are. From fur. It's always funny because it ends up being gray because he's a black and white kitty. Yep. And his fur, brushed fur, just mats together, creates these old gray balls. You're going to take a picture of him. His precious face. His precious face. Show me your precious face. He's like, no, give you nothing. <laughs> and stuff and things. <laughs> so, should we talk about obsessions? We haven't done that in a while. Okay, let's obsess. It's obsession. Uh -huh. It's obsession. I've been playing tons and tons of Skyrim. I've been trying to get the achievements. So I got the 11 werewolf perks. Just recently got the 11 Vampire Lord perks. Need to go back to trying to get the Thieves Guild back to its original glory. Have some Daedric things to track down. So I'm getting there. Closing in on 
getting all the Skyrim achievements. Boobies. Which is something I hadn't ever done. I haven't done that either because there are just things that are a pain in the ass to me. Like, I don't want to be a vampire lord ever because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. The thing about being a werewolf is sunlight don't hurt you. Nope. And you're immune to disease. Yep. You never even have to fucking change into a werewolf if you don't want to. Yep. And uh, the only downside is that you don't get to have restful sleep, which gives you a temporary experience boost. Yeah, if you care about that. Yeah, don't care. Because playing Skyrim, I don't sleep often at all. In most Bethesda games, I don't sleep often at all. I do it sometimes in Fallout 4 because, like, yeah, let's... Oh, he's off to hunt. Off to hunt. Get it. Get it. <laughs> yep, he spotted a fly. Uh, help me. <laughs> yep. Help me. Help me. I should go through and look at the actual trophies available on the PlayStation 4 release because they might be achievable. I don't know. Hmm. Just depends on how annoying it will be for me to try to do that versus just playing the game and having a good time. Yeah, well, I'm doing that too, but I would descend into a Stormcloak camp and as a vampire lord and just devour everybody, eat their faces. Yuck. You could do that with a werewolf. I did that with a werewolf, too. <laughs> the advantages and perks of the beast forms, whether it be werewolf or vampire lord, just didn't interest me. Well, it's the same with a lot of the powers available. There's so much, and you can only really equip one. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, I'm not dealing with anything. Because even the dragon shouts... It's like I might equip one or two and use those ones consistently unless there's something specific like dragon rend you need to use on something. Yeah. But usually it's the whirlwind thing so it can run really fast. I use the uh, fire breath sort of thing a lot because uh, undead. Yes. But that's just me. Yeah, it's a good one. I've been using that one recently. Well, and not only undead, but vampires are undead, so. I've also been trying to just level up as much as I can, which is difficult, because magic goes up very, very slowly. Which is why I'm never a magic user. Yeah. I mean, even when you're using destruction spells all the time, it's very rare yeah, for it to go up a level. That's one thing that changed between Oblivion and Skyrim, is that... In Oblivion, you just had to use it. Didn't matter if it was successful or not. Mm -hmm. Like you could use fireball just on a just shoot fireballs into the river if you fucking wanted to, and <laughs> it would it would increase. But it's not that way in Skyrim. It will work for certain things like conjuration. Well, yeah, conjuration, but you know that's that's one thing that's like seriously a pass fail. Yeah. You either conjure something or you don't. Yep. It doesn't matter what you do with it afterwards. But with uh, destruction spells, if you don't affect something. Yeah, if you're not actually injuring something. Then yeah. it doesn't go up. And I like how they went back to basics with Fallout 4 and just everything you do is experience. You pick a lock, it's this much experience. You hack into a computer, it's this much experience. You kill a really you kill a behemoth, it's a shit ton of experience. Yeah. You complete a main quest, it's a shit ton of experience, yeah, and, and you just go up, and then you increase whatever perks you want from there. Yeah. And that is a much better system and far less frustrating. Well, that's the most widely used system for role-playing games, is to just award experience points and allow you to spend them the way you choose. Exactly. I hope that that's how they do any other Elder Scrolls games going forward. Yeah. Because... Ooh, it's been a while. 
it's been a while since they put one out. Yeah, it seems because, like. Well, it's because they did all the online shit that I hated. Oh yeah, that's right. They had that Skyrim or whatever. They online, still have Elder it. Scrolls online thing. They I don't do that. I I don't like them more because. Nope. I just don't enjoy them. I don't have enough friends to play them. And... Sartre said, "Hell is other people, so mm. I don't want to play with other people." Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be in a game with a bunch of other shitheads yep. that just want to kill me and take my stuff. It's a solitary, introverted experience for me, and that's the way I like my video gaming. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to get annoyed at a video game, I want it to be because of the video game, not because of the people <laughs> I'm playing it with. Yep. So yeah, I just don't do group things. Yeah. Not my thing. Not your sign. So what is your uh, obsession? Well, it's a crochet-related thing. Uh-huh. Um, and this has been an ongoing obsession for a few weeks now, a couple months, three months, etc. Anyone who knows anything about yarn will understand this. I'm going to dumb it down for people who have no idea what I'm talking about. You know what a yarn skein is. Pretty much everybody does. It's basically a bundle of yarn in a designated color. And there's a company called Karen that I really like their just plain old regular yarn because it's very nice. But they started putting out these things that they called Karen Cakes. And what they are is the balls kind of look like they were... They were wound on like my, you know, like my yarn winder thing that I have. Yes. It looks like they're wound on that. So they, they literally are just these round sort of cake shaped things of yarn. But the thing is, is that they have colors in them that stripe naturally and change at regular intervals. Sweet. It looks like you're using two or three different kinds of yarn when you're really just using one Karen cake. Biggest problem with those, they have wool in them. Uh-huh. Guess who's allergic to wool? You Me! are. And even when I'm just ac- when I'm shopping for yarn and I just accidentally touch something that I didn't know has wool in it, <laughs> cat is still hunting. Jeez, buddy, it's very uncomfortable. Let's just put it that way. I usually end up with a small rash. And I was bummed about that because I really liked the projects that I saw made with the Karen cakes. Well, another up-and-coming yarn company called Premier has given us an alternative, and they call theirs Sweet Rolls. Sweet Rolls! Sweet Rolls. And they actually kind of look like a sweet roll. They do. They're a bit smaller as far as actual amount of yarn, but it's the same concept, and they're less expensive. And so each one has three different colors in it. Sometimes they're contrasting colors. Sometimes they're variations on a shade. Ah. And I can't get enough of them. I want to make things in every color. Recently, I didn't tell you this. Oh, he's got a moth. He's got a moth. Kill it, buddy. Don't let it get away. (laughs) Jesus, what do we keep you around for? Come on. Did did you lose track of it? There, he sees it. I did stop off. Oh, it was on that day. It was on July 3rd. I, when I went out to get my um, Wonder Woman shirt that was at the post office because it came certified mail and they wouldn't bother bringing it to the door. God forbid. We have a community mailbox that all the mailboxes are locked. And so if anything has to be delivered directly to the person, they never do it. They just take it back to the post office and leave you a note. And I'm like, you had to come to my house to fucking leave the note. Yep. And I know we were home. Did anyone knock? Did anyone ring the doorbell? No. (sighs) <sighs> anyway, I went over to Joanne's because I knew I needed one more skein of this 
one thing that I was working on because I thought I was done. And then I'm like, no, I need this to be longer. And they had a bunch of colors that were on clearance. Oh, boy. Yeah. For like $2. $2. They're normally $2. And they were $2. And so I bought a, a lot of this one called Lavender Swirl. And that's what I'm making that granny shawl out of. <laughs> Fun. It's so much fun. I there was actually an infinity scarf I made out of one. That's one. I finished that. Woo! Yeah. I finished a project, bitches. I have I uh, I have so many projects, but I love them. So I'm really enjoying working with those mm-hmm. because they do stripe beautifully and they're interesting visually and they're easy to work with and they don't have fucking wool in them. It's very easy to transition from one sweet roll to the next if you if you're working with multiple sweet rolls. Right. So because they always start and end with the same color, so it's easy to it's easy to continue. Nice. So yeah, sweet rolls. I'm obsessed with sweet rolls. Not not the sweet roll kind. Because, I am. Well, I I am. <laughs> I do love a good sweet roll. Yeah. Uh, but this is a different kind of sweet roll that I love. Yes. And I now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just visualizing that end cap and Joanne and how many colors there are, and I'm just stop it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a blanket that you were working on. Your kind of winter color blanket. This is not sweet roll. Nope. This is actually red heart, which. And this is Icelandic. That's what this color combination yep, is. Yeah, it's gray, white, light blue, and kind of a... I think that's it. Is it just three colors? No, it's four colors. Because, see, there's... Oh, this there's is, a... This is not actually white. It's, it's kind like of a, silver. Yeah, silver. And then this is gray. Gray. And this is like a sea green, and this is like a sea blue. Okay, so there are two different blues in there. Yeah. All right. Well, one's more of a green. Yeah. Yeah. A little more greeny. Like a cyan. And the cat has marked it, and so now I'm going to have to wash it. Did you shove that moth under the door, you wanker? <laughs> That's where his toys get trapped. The hell, He buddy. plays with things, and they always end up in the closet. We don't need a moth in the closet. I don't want to eat my clothes. <laughs> Damn it. <sighs> He's almost as frustrated as I am. Yes. He does seem concerned, doesn't he? Yeah. He's looking Look. under the closet door like, come on. Well, it's uh, probably fopping around in there on the floor. Yep. You want me to open the door? Yeah, I think he does. Will you get it if I do? I know. Hey. I know. I know. Where'd it go? Where is it? Bring it. Will you bring it back now, please? <laughs> Where is it? That's going to walk slowly back now. I think he may have disintegrated it. He seemed to have been making his chops. I wonder if he ate it. Well, um, he may have, but he's still pawing at something, so there's yeah. still something left in there. I'm pretty sure I saw a wing had been detached from said moth. Ah. So. Cats can be cruel. They're just doing what their instinct tells them to do. Are you done? Can I close this? Do the half dead moth in it? No. No. Come on. For the love of moth. No. <laughs> he's climbing up the back of the closet. <laughs> We've got a carpeted area with a bit of a slant, and he started going right up that. Well, that's He's like, oh, there's stuff to spray up here. That's because that closet is right over the stairwell going into the basement. Yep. So and it's, it's also a, access to the, to the, to attic. the attic, the loft. Well, thanks for joining me for that adventure. Okay, shall we move on to news and reviews? Yes, uh, to begin with. D&D. 
D&D. Uh, we finally got back to the major Dungeons & Dragons session we've been doing. After six weeks. Yeah, it was a long wait. And we're still not quite at the climax. Which is fine. Of this chapter. We're just on the edge of it. So many discoveries. And snakes. Yeah. Why did it have to be snakes? Well, it's like playing up to everybody's uh, phobias. <laughs> yeah, Danielle does not like snakes. But, of course, the little underground area you found beneath this temple had a bunch of water in it and then some water snakes that are all just coiled up mm-hmm. at a landing in some stairs. It's like, no, grab a torch, chase the snakes away. Was it Chelsea that was just going to hack him with her axe? Yeah. And then that didn't work. And so we're like... Oh, yeah. I think she missed and they they got agitated. And that's when I looked at Calvin and I said, torch. Just use the torch. Use the torch. Scare him off. Use the torch, Turnt. Because the humans can't see in the dark anyway. So might as well keep the torch with them. Well, weren't there several times during that adventure where we're like, Turnt, get over here. We need this. (laughs) We either needed his javelin or we needed his torch. Especially that trapped area leading to the secret door that led from the from beneath the temple to the priest's uh, domicile. It's a clever way you got around that by actually leaving the trap set so you could get around the spikes and not have them come up and get you. You could just walk around them. Yeah, well, when you know they're there, you can avoid them a little yep. more easily. I mean, when they're just something to get around rather than something to, oh, I hope that this doesn't trigger that. Yeah, you so, guys yeah. set the pressure plate so it would be continually active yep because we're clever yeah clever definitely are essa found a magical artifact yep she's got the slippers of the dancer that are ascribed to a trickster goddess and of course the minute that you said that they were ballet slippers i thought oh god it's the red shoes all over again (laughs) which if you don't know what the red shoes are there was a movie made of it long long ago but there's been other versions of it as well there's a kate bush song i believe there was it was originally like a a short story or novella i'd have to look that up i could be lying is it lying if you don't know or just ignorance could be a classic fairy tale even uh could well be but uh basically the slippers just dance you to death yes they do dance you to death they're really cool they got some nifty abilities and essa used them well they don't appear to be magical. They're really kind of beaten up. Except for the laces. They like used to be black and they've faded to a charcoal gray. But yeah, the laces display a pattern according to what you're thinking. And you can decide what you want them to look like. Which I don't think I told Chelsea. But well, I gave her the sheet to read. And so yeah. I'm pretty sure she knows now. But she actually used that to the advantage. Because it'd do mind reading and then show what she was thinking. And it's like, okay, how do I get into this glass case to get you out? And it showed her the steps to do so. Yep. It's like, oh, you don't lift it like this, lift it like that. And she's like, oh, okay. So that was a really clever way of using the magic of these slippers, which also might suggest that the slippers want her to have them. Yes, I'm sure they do. So, yeah. And then she put them on and you're like, no, put them on. (laughs) Of course, they're cursed, so she couldn't take them off. Yeah, but doesn't your cleric have a way to do that? Uh, He would... It's going to be a little while before I have third level spells, but I think remove curse is a third level spell. Mm-hmm. But that's what level six, I think, before I get to that. He can prepare the blind deafen spell. So if there's music playing and she's compelled to dance, he can make her deaf, which is not the best 
solution, but it's a solution to keep her from dancing. Didn't we just... What are you doing over there? <laughs> He's still trying to get that moth behind that door. Uh, maybe we should just get her some earplugs. Could that work? That might work if you can invent some kind of sound dampening earplug thing. Where's a sheep? Yeah. Uh, I can't touch the sheep, so somebody else is going to have to get some wool off their ears. And just, let's just plug her ears. Yep. So, if there's music playing. Something to seal off, because if she can hear even a bit of music, she'll be compelled to dance. But there's two things. Even if she, like, fails her saving throws, she still dances, but she's in control of it. Ah. And so she can dance and fight at the same time, or she can dance and sneak at the same time. But if she fails the saving throw, it's pure dance. And really? that's everything's devoted, all her actions, all her movements devoted to dance. I told her not to put those on. <laughs> well, luckily where you are, there's no music playing, so that's not an issue. Yet. Yet. Oh, you got your um, Staff of the Woodlands. Holy as shit, did that the rest thing of is the amazing. Druids. Yes, it has a really cool spell called Awaken, which grants a creature of an intelligence of three or lower and i think your wolf just made that i think her intelligence was three originally is that it grants creatures of three or lower intelligence with an intelligence of 10 and a language of your choice that you know so yeah i'm i'm gonna have phaedra speak common and danielle's gonna do that with her squirrel pesto and so you'll have these two critters that can communicate quite clearly with you and have human intelligence. The downside can be, but won't be, that the creature is also charmed for 30 days towards you. So Uh it will stay with you no matter what. But at the end of that 30 days, when it's not charmed anymore, it gets to decide whether it's going to stay with you, depending on how you treated it while it was charmed. (laughs) So so you both were, you know, well, especially Danielle was a little worried about that. But it's like, well, as long as you treat the critter well... It's going to stay with you. And Phaedra in particular, because you're, she's your animal companion, mm-hmm. she's better off with you. Yeah. Because as you increase in level, she increases in level, and her health improves. Well, and she was trying to come to me anyway. Yeah, originally. Before we even met. Oh, yeah, because she sensed you. She was um, a display for a traveling kind of zoo circus-y kind of thing. Bastards. And she broke out because she sensed your presence and wanted to become your companion. And I'm good to my girl. Yeah, you are. She's a sweet girl. Yep, everybody loves her. I like how you modified the animal companion abilities so that I don't have to use my action to send (laughs) her to do something, because that's bullshit. Yeah, the Beastmaster Ranger mode had you use your action to give your animal companion an action. I can see that if you have a bonus attack or something, but... In this instance, I see that being a bonus action thing. I agree, because do all spells, you know, casting a spell, does that take up your action? Mm-hmm. You know, say I'm just going to cast this spell, and then I'm going, like, I'm going to do Hail of Thorns, and then I'm going to shoot my bow and arrow. I can do both of those yep. in the same turn. Yeah. So why can't I say, hey, Phaedra, would you please go distract this guy? And then shoot somebody else with my bow and arrow. That worked really well when you came across the wellspring, which was your whole goal, is to return that to its original state. It's a connection to the earth goddess Mm. and the element of water. It's like the link between the two. And it's all been all smashed up. And there's two helmed horrors guarding the thing. Oh, those are so fucking creepy. And so you guys 
you and Calvin mentioned how much they look like Daedric Princes kind of thing. You know, they were in Daedric-looking armor. Not even Daedric Princes, because um, each Daedric Prince has their own particular look. Yeah, that's look. true. But these look like Daedric Warriors. Yeah, Warriors. Like when you would face when you would go in, in Oblivion, when you would go into one of the Oblivion gates and have to get the stone from the top of the tower. And those, they look very much like things you faced in there, yeah. which is horrible. There are enchanted suits of plate armor that just float around and they are, they're equipped with uh, shields and long swords. Creepy as fuck. And so they'll just walk up on you and chop at you. And they float too. Mm. They don't have to walk. They can fly at a standard speed yeah with an armor class of 20 so Mm -hmm. that made it difficult for you guys not for me but so the fact that you weren't using your hell of thorns because everything was close combat and you didn't want to injure your companions so you're using your bonus attack to use phaedra and that helped the whole party because it granted a lot of them advantage on attacking these things so they had two chances to get that armor class 20 yeah, and there was one time where I actually failed. I didn't roll high enough on one of my attacks, and I luckily I got that advantage, so yep. I rolled again, and I did hit that second time. Because I have a plus nine with my longbow. It's pretty hard to get below 20, yep, unless you have I just really am abysmal. Five from your dexterity of 20. You have two from your proficiency bonus and two from your ranger specialization in archery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, nine. That's going to go up ten next level. And we're so close to next level. Yeah, once you're level five, your proficiency bonus goes up one. So you have a plus ten to hit with your bow. Sweet. That's really nifty. Looking forward to that. Yep. The cleric found a way down to you guys and used Guiding Bolts, which is one of my favorite spells. It's amazing. Rolled a natural 20. So So great. Standard damage is four die six. So I did eight die six to one of those Helmed Horrors. You did a lot of damage. Yeah, it was very exciting. A lot of treasure. Uh, You guys got to rape a bit of things from the dragon you slayed. So got some dragon scales to possibly make some armor out of that. A dragon tongue for possibly a future potion. And then I I don't ever think she decided what she wanted. Because it was either a claw, a fang, or a dragon scale she wanted to add to her necklace. I don't know if she ever completely decided. She may have decided on a scale, but I'm it not 100% like it, sure. It seemed like she had decided on a scale. I'll have to ask her about that. Yeah. But we're not going to see them today because they're at Halloween in summer. Oh, yeah. In the, Magna. Yeah. Magna. The summer Halloween festival thingy in Liquid Hot Magna. Magna. <laughs> yeah, it's a city here in Utah. Our city names are insane. Yeah. Townships. Yeah. Magna. Magna. So, and Brooke, my sister, was saying, well, I'm really surprised you guys aren't coming. And I said, It's in Magna. It's, in, it's A, in Magna, which is really far away from Ogden. Yeah. And B, it's a hundred fucking degrees outside. Uh, can you believe wearing a Halloween costume in a hundred degree weather? Uh, yes, I can, because Phil did it for like two or three years in a row and Eesh. won the costume contest every year. And so he stopped entering because he felt bad. Yeah. Well, heck, his Wookiee costume alone. Yeah, well, his Wookiee costume, his Darth Vader costume, his clone trooper costume. Yep. Yeah. They were extremely well done, of course. Of course. But, I mean, his Wookiee is something spectacular. Oh, yes. Because it was created with such detail. and Because, you know, a lot of people, they do a Wookiee costume and they just do it like a pelt. No. 
he latch hooked that fucking fur on there. Mm. God damn it. And brushes it frequently. Yeah. Anytime he's about to go do a show or something. And you know, it's still, it comes out. So he has to do repairs. So yeah. he's always got the latch hook and the extra fur <laughs> to, to touch up. Yep. And, and that's why everyone is just a gog whenever he is in that costume, because it is amazing. Well done, Phil. So. Oh, our sorcerer found some things as well. He's got a cloak of displacement. Mm-hmm. So, uh, pelt off a displacer beast because we needed something for him for combat because if anything ever comes to attack him i think his armor class was something like 14 at the best yeah that's (laughs) i think it was less than that i think it's like 13 or 12 even yeah so to give him some kind of bonus so he's less likely to get hit that's always good yeah so yeah it was a really fun night it, it felt really good to finally get back to that and be playing with all of us again. Yeah, everybody had their moment to shine. And that's kind of what I aim for. And just touching upon what each person kind of wants out of adventuring. Some of them like the mystery. Some of them like the combat. Some of them like, you know, the quieter character moments. I, I'm very much interested in the mystery of this temple and why people consider this to be a goblin city when it obviously isn't. Oh, I have a solution for that coming up. For I know you do. I know you do. But I, yeah. I, and see, that's fun for me because I like figuring those things out because yeah. it's, it's very obvious that this was a humanoid dwelling. Oh, yeah. It's very much in a Hindu temple style. Mm hmm. Including some sexually explicit statues. <laughs> yeah. They're very sex positive, whatever this ancient city was. Yeah, it's like, Neve, do not come over here. <laughs> yep. You stay over there, son. Yeah, stay over on the side where it just shows them dancing. Yeah. Because over on this side, ooh, boy. Because <laughs> he's, he's basically a 10-year-old in an adult body. Yeah. He literally is that. He's literally a 10-year-old in an adult body. I keep waiting for his wild magic to take effect. There's only a 5% chance, so... But still... Hopefully it will soon, because Statistically, it's going to happen. A really cool thing that will happen when it does. So, yeah, it's all very exciting, and uh, look forward to you completing this chapter and transitioning to the next. Yeah, it's going to be a couple weeks before we can all play again. Yeah, which is fine. I think we might be skipping, unless you wanted to play Thursday something. If somebody wants to play Tenders on Thursday, I'm game. Yeah, well, we'll explore and see if anybody wants to do that. Otherwise, we can take another week off. Yep. Okay, I can put up feelers. Feelers. Okay, shall we move on? Yeah. So what, reviews? Reviews. Which one do you want to begin with? The Speederman. The Speederman. There's Speederman. There's Speederman? Mr. Spiderman. Spiderman. So we watched Spider-Man Homecoming, like most people, but we'll try to do a spoiler-free review as best we can, I suppose. It's going to be hard, but we're going (laughs) to attempt it. It may not work. Oh, how do you want to approach this Uh, How about generally, did you like it? Yes, I did. Very, very much. In fact, this is the best Spider-Man film that they have done. I liked it a lot. It has less of the issues of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man 2, as good as that is, it has some pretty crazy plot holes and weird situations. Mm -hmm. That's what I think has been the hardest thing for Spider-Man, is that once the Marvel Cinematic Universe really got going... Spider-Man is a big part of the comics. He's like he's like the flagship character. Yeah, he's Marvel's flagship character. That's a good way of saying that. Yeah. And so to not have him be connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe was weird and wrong. Yeah. And Sony obviously did not know how to treat the character. 
Right. Because they have done how many? Five movies. Hmm. And they they still weren't getting the results that they wanted, which basically they want to make that sweet, sweet Marvel Cinematic Universe money. Yeah. Spider-Man 3 was definitely a studio problem. Mm. And they were like, we're doing Venom because Venom's a popular character and they want, yeah, but they really wanted to include Venom. And even now they're, they want to do a Venom movie with Tom Hardy. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about Venom. I'm sorry. I don't care. I feel like this is finally really Spider-Man. They really landed on the character quite well because he's a good blend of the other two. He's like somewhere in between those two extremes. Yeah, well, he's significantly younger, which I is I'm fine with because the character is 15. Right. He's 15 years old. In my opinion, his characterization is spot on because he behaves like a person, like like a kid who is a major fan of the Avengers who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and now he has superpowers. Yep. And that level of enthusiasm and excitement <laughs> is something that did not exist in the other incarnations. Yeah, it was like it was a burden to be Spider-Man. Yeah. With him, he wants very much to be Spider-Man, and he wants to be the best Spider-Man. Which brings me to the issue people have with Uncle Ben not being a major feature in Homecoming. Is I think if you do the Uncle Ben arc, that is Spider-Man's arc. And that's, you know, the whole with great power comes great responsibility. If he learns that lesson, where do you take him? Mm -hmm. Uh, In Spider-Man Homecoming, Peter Parker's a bit of a fuck up. He keeps making mistakes. Yep. And he makes mistakes because, you know, he wants to be more than he can at the moment. And that shows irresponsibility. So if you do the Uncle Ben origin story, can you still do the arc of him learning to be Spider-Man and improving? Well, I think that you that you could, and I think that actually they made a very smart decision by making him so young, because teenagers fuck up. Yes. And the whole great power, great responsibility thing, that, you know, that could very well have already happened. Yep. And obviously did, I think, because they did not show us the origin again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I would just find those Thank two you. things incongruent. I mean, the arc that he has with Tony Stark and the Uncle Ben story, those wouldn't fit side by side. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to lose one. And I think that dropping the Uncle Ben story actually improves the storyline and the arc overall in Homecoming. Because you see that starting to take effect at the end of the film. And I'm not going to spoil as to what reason and the things that happen. But you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Because of the choice that he makes. Right. He's starting to get there. It's like he wants to run before he can walk. Which is what teenagers Mm -hmm. do! Yep. It's It's what kids do! And that's brilliant! The things that other people are complaining about, to me, are just like, why do you hate yourself? Who hurt you as a child? Oh, the, the spidey sense isn't really a thing? I don't mind that. Spidey sense is kind of silly. I didn't really notice until somebody pointed it out. And I was like, yeah, I I didn't miss it. I I didn't miss the Spidey sense. Well, the way that I look at Spidey sense is that he's on a heightened level of perception now. His perception is like at a 20. So (laughs) to go D&D. And so he has um, the alertness feet. He has the alertness feet. He cannot be surprised. (laughs) So 
can't be snuck up on, nope. sneaked up on. Both are correct now. And just super fast reflexes. So that's how, that's what I consider the spidey sense to be. So this whole, my spidey sense is tingling. I, I always thought that was stupid anyway. <laughs> I just thought, no, come on. Yep. Because well, you know how a spider always knows when you're about to try and kill it? No, it doesn't, actually. It just senses something coming towards it. So it runs because that's its instinct. And it's it's different with a human. I feel like the spidey sense is there, but we don't have to call it the spidey sense because it's not about premonition. It's about really high perception and really fast reflexes. Yep. And that's, I think, what it really always was about. Yeah, because the spidey sense thing in the comic has always been, somebody's in trouble, I need to go rescue him. It's like the super hearing for Superman. Yeah, no, I'm not, I was never on board with that. Because that is ridiculous. Spiders can't tell when someone's in danger. (laughs) (laughs) Spiders can barely tell when they're in danger. If they knew so much, why do they keep climbing into bathtubs that they can't climb back (laughs) out of? Okay, how many spiders have I found in bathtubs over the years? Hundreds. Oh, oh my God. Hundreds. Peter Parker stuck in a drain. Yeah. So, yeah, I I'm, I don't care about the whole Spidey sense thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss it. And I don't feel like they needed to incorporate the whole Uncle Ben story or even refer to it. Because it's sort of sideways referred to. Yeah. Uh, well, this isn't a spoiler because it's in one of the commercials, which even Tom Holland is like, why are you showing so much of the movie? That's been a big complaint is that's Sony. Sony's marketing. Yeah, but that's Sony. They for showed you. way too much of the film. So in a way, it's kind of tough to spoil it because everybody's seen it already. Yeah, but there's some things in there that made us go, what? Yeah. And so. other people as well that have gone, well, they didn't. I mean, they didn't foreshadow it a ton i mean there's but it's mentions there of things. there's nothing that comes out of nowhere yeah. there's subtle clues and to me it's it didn't feel like the agatha christie pulling out the whole no. thing that you didn't know the person who never existed and now suddenly <laughs> does exist that only our detective knows about and yeah. and then brings them in to prove how smart they are I'm sorry, but that's what Agatha Christie books. She doesn't give you all the information for you to be able to solve her mystery. And so she just makes herself look smart because you didn't figure out the ending. I hate that. Yeah, introducing a character in the final thing. Wasn't it that Murder by Death movie that mentions that? And introducing a character in the final chapter? Yes, thank you. I'm not the only one who feels this way, but everybody's just like, oh, Agatha Christie's the best. No, actually, she's not. She's really not. <laughs> there are much better mystery writers J.K. Rowling's a better mystery writer, because at least she gives you the foreshadowing. It still is a, is a moment that I'm not going to talk about, but it's still, we we looked at each other, our mouths hanging open. It, yeah, was, it was a amazing. genuine surprise. I, it is so difficult for us to be genuinely surprised by movies that it, I was so <laughs> delighted. Now, one that you're also taken aback by going, wait, is did I not see that because there's something wrong with me? But no, they do conceal it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's hints, but they're not they're not obvious. It's just sometimes people just want to complain. Their argument is that, you know, for a lot of people, this may be the first experience they ever have with Spider-Man. So? Yeah. Let them go back and watch the other ones. If it gets them interested in other incarnations of Uh Spider-Man, how is this a problem? If somebody doesn't know the whole Uncle Ben story, how is that a problem? Did it actually take away from anyone's performance in the film? Did it take away from the story that they created? No! No, it didn't! The death of Bruce Wayne's parents in every Batman movie. 
No. Do we need the death of James Bond's wife in every James Bond movie? No. Do we need the destruction of Krypton in every Superman movie? No. (laughs) No, we don't. Yeah. Just stop it. Once you establish a character, you don't necessarily have to have his origin in each and every incarnation. And and my personal feeling on that is stop assuming your audience is dumb. Mm-hmm. And stop assuming that your fellow audience members are dumb, people who are criticizing this film. Because as long as they enjoy it, what the fuck does it matter? Yeah, it's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. I like, it's the best Spider-Man movie we've had. I like how they incorporated the high school stuff. I like that it's multicultural because... If you look at the Sam Raimi, for being in the middle of New York, so many their whites. school is super white. Super white. So much white people. So many white people. If you're in a midtown science school, it's going to be diverse. Yeah. Guess what? Flash, you know, who's usually the biggest bully of Peter Parker yeah. in the comics, etc. Not white. And not a jock. Not a jock. So I just thought that was a really interesting way to take that character. Welcome to the 21st century, people. (laughs) Of course, everyone is welcome to their opinion, but I honestly think that this was a great movie. I had a great time watching it. And I wasn't sure, because I wasn't completely sold on Spider-Man in Civil War. You know, I wasn't either, but the more I learned about the upcoming movie and the more I learned about Tom Holland, I was starting to get over that. Oh, and how they approached the millennial thing Mm -hmm. of the social media is that he's recording everything. That whole Civil War sequence that he's in? He's filming it. He filmed it. So you get that in Homecoming. You get his point of view of how Tony Stark approached him, how he went to Germany, how, you know, he ended up catching Captain America's shield and so on. I found it delightful. Yep. Because he is doing what a 15-year-old fanboy with superpowers would do. And... (laughs) Happy was not happy about it. And Tony's just like, whatever. (laughs) He's a kid. Come on. I loved it. I loved it. Did you notice all his Star Wars figures? Oh, I noticed everything on his shelves. Believe me. Funny when you go back to Civil War and when he talks about that very old movie where they. You know that really old movie? (laughs) Where they had those Walker things? (laughs) Where they're on that ice planet? Trying to explain this movie like they've never seen it. Well, when you think about it, it's been over, it's been 40 years yeah, since the first film. It would be a classic movie to him. To a 15 year old, that is really old. Thing is, he'd be growing up with the prequels. Oh, poor dear. He'd yep. be too young for the prequels. Oh, that's, hmm, that's right. Because if he's 15, that means he was born in 97. Right. No, excuse me, it means he was born in uh, 2002. Cheapers, creepers. Yeah. It blows Boy, that the makes mind, you feel doesn't old, it? doesn't it? Yeah. Tom Holland himself is actually 21. He Peter just 21. Parker was born in 2002. So he wouldn't even remember the towers. Mm-mm. That was all post 9-11. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. He's very charming, too. Of course, British. So charming. And, you know, people may complain about having British people playing Americans. I don't care. I don't care. It's called acting. It doesn't matter what nationality <laughs> that person is. That is... Just ridiculous. Well, if it's the best actor for the role, what's the problem? Yeah. And uh, by the way, y'all, if you haven't seen my Facebook post, Tom Holland can dance, bitches. Well, yeah. He can dance. Because he started taking hip-hop classes when he was wee. (laughs) And he was in Billy Elliot, for fuck's sake, in West End London. 
It, he also played other roles in Billy Elliot. He was he had a run of like I think like four or five years in that show as different characters. Like this one, he was Billy Elliot's best friend, and this one, he was this person. This one, he was this friend. <laughs> this one, he's Billy Elliot. You it's know. like if you grow out of the role, suddenly you're playing a different character. He's adorable. He was adorable as a kid too, and I just really like him. He is he's charming and amusing, and he's not a dick. You know, he's not conceited. He's not. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe him other than I think he's kind of an old soul. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, and people crap a lot on millennials these days. And I'm just like, you know what? Just because it's not the way that you think about the world doesn't mean it's wrong. No. It's every generation's job to complain about the next, I guess. Baby Boomers and Gen X did not do a lot of great things as far as securing a good future for the generation that came next. And the millennials are like, what the fuck? Yeah, what do you you expect of us? You have fucked us. How are we supposed to deal with this when you have made it impossible? I I got no problem with millennials. (laughs) Yeah. I may have said my things in the past, but, you know, I've come to understand millennials and I just... You know what? They're people. They're people just like us. Just because they're younger and not as experienced doesn't mean that they're not of value. It doesn't mean that their opinions are wrong. It doesn't mean that what they are trying to do is meaningless, because that's just silly. It is silly. Um, Anything else you want to talk about, Homecoming, before we move on? Michael Keaton is amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, I really like the vulture suit. I like how they addressed it. I like how they... Got to the furry collar thing by having it be a flight jacket. Yeah, it's like a bomber jacket. It's yeah. great. It's so, so perfect. And so the furry ruffles that you associate with the vulture, it comes from the jacket. Well, and the, the clawed feet yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It actually it makes sense for the way it's used. So I'm like, oh my god, because Sony basically had just given up. They're like, uh, okay, we can't do this tomorrow. It's like they took like the falcon suit. Mm-hmm. and adjusted it for doing heists. Yeah. Well, and it obviously has looks like it has some repulsor technology in there. Yeah, and it has those propellers for hovering, mm-hmm. like the helicarrier does. Yeah, which is Stark stuff. That's Stark-level technology. Yeah, pretty nifty. I like the working-class villain. Mm-hmm. I think they could have gone deeper with that. They kind of just skimmed the surface with the class warfare element of it. Well... I can't say anything about that because it's going to lead to other things that I don't want to talk about because it's spoilers. Spoilery, yeah. So, But I'm, you're yeah. introduced to the villain right off the get-go and how it ties into the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. with the attack on New York and the Sokovia Accord. It goes over all of that. When I see a movie like Avengers, and while we were watching Avengers the first time, and, you know, there's all this destruction and everything, and then the giant turtlefish things just collapsing on top of buildings, you know, when the ship is just, mother ship is destroyed, and I'm just like, who the fuck is going to clean all this up? Well, this who the fuck is cleaning all this up? Answers that question. Exactly. So that, for me, is delightful, because I'm the kind of person who thinks about shit like mm-hmm. that. You know, everybody else is like, woo, action movie. And I'm just thinking, yeah, but what happens after? Yep, who cleans up? Who cleans up all this stuff? Businesses are destroyed now. What are those people going to do? Are their lives ruined? Is the city going to compensate them? Are the Avengers going to compensate them? Is the federal government going to declare a state of emergency? These are all things that go through my head. Yeah, so Keaton was really good. He Well, he's always good. Yeah, yeah I think that uh, satisfies for that review. Okay, well, then we're on to the last thing, which is Moana! Moana! Oh, my God, I can't believe it. I waited this long to see that movie. 
it came up on Netflix. I guess it was about a month ago. It popped up. And wow, I thought, that oh, long. Oh, I should watch this one of these days. People have told me it's good. And guys, you have no idea. It's not just good. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful story and uh, animated very well. Oh, the hair. My God, the hair. Not just the water. The hair, the water. I could just spend all day looking at Moana's hair. It's so beautifully, perfectly, wonderfully done. Um, the voice acting, top-notch, wonderful, right on. Yep, singing, even from The Rock. <laughs> uh -huh. The Rock is a singer. He mm -hmm. can sing. We know this from oh, yeah. Be Cool. Uh, so, how they incorporated tribal tattoos and just... Well, yeah, it's obviously a fantasy. It's yeah. a fairy tale. Well, and it is. The story great. of Maui. And... Yeah, and it's it's so beautiful. And it's the first Disney film in a really long time where the woman isn't motivated by trying to get a man. Except, in this case, she's trying to get a man to fix what he fucking did wrong. Yeah. But she's not. it's not about It's romance. not about marrying the yeah. prince. It's not about finding a prince and falling in love. It's about making the world right. It's about she's the only one who can do this, and so she goes to do it, even though she's, you know, not even a fully grown adult. So it's it's brilliant. The songs are brilliant. Lin-Manuel Miranda, I bow down to you yet again. I can't <laughs> stop listening to the soundtrack. And no wonder not, it's always in your head. Yep. And, and I'm fine with that. It's the Moana station 24-7 up in here, and that is fine because... I would rather have those things stuck in my head than most other things. Alan Tudyk is a chicken. <laughs> he was a great the chicken. The stupidest chicken ever. Yeah, but it saved their butts. Yep. That chicken saved them. Being attacked by coconut pirates. Yeah. Oh, the coconut pirates. That was so brilliant. That whole sequence. What The whole movie is just eye candy. Yeah, that's a great action set piece. There's nothing boring there because every shot of that film has wonderful visual details in it. Oh, yeah, I put away my phone. Which was shocking to me because usually he's only half watching everything. Yeah, I'm like messing with my phone while watching whatever. It's like this time, no, it was too visually satisfying. It's it's just glorious. And yeah. even the actual score of the movie is beautiful. Jemaine Clement as Tamatoa, the giant crab. <laughs> with, who wants what, to be shiny. At the David Bowie voice. Yes, which, uh, which is exactly what Lin-Manuel Miranda atten uh, intended. Because when he found out Jermaine Clement is the voice, he's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Yep. I know what I'm doing. And so that's what he did. It was a love letter to Jermaine Clement's Flight of the Concords love letter to Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> that's love letters within love letters. Yep, exactly. And it's, it's a, a great whole post office of love letters. Yeah, that whole musical number in the movie is just... I. There's too much to look at. I'm going it's into very sensory glittery. overload. It's fantastic. Well, it's called shiny and for yeah. a reason because it's like a dragon turtle who likes shiny things. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things got paid off in the end because basically they have to get Maui's hook because it's embedded in Tamatoa's uh, treasure trove that he carries around on top of his shell. He ends up falling on his back and I thought, oh, but... How's he going to get back over again? He's just going to be on his back forever. And who's big enough to help a crab that size? <laughs> and then at the end, he's like, hello, <laughs> somebody flipped me over. <laughs> and I thought, thank you. Thank you for paying that off. Because in my brain, I was wondering. It was delightful. I love that film. I've fallen asleep to it a couple of times this week just because I needed oh, the solace. That's a great fall asleep to movie. Mm-hmm. 
it's just beautiful. And if you haven't seen it, oh my god, please watch it. It's beautiful. And her falling asleep to movies is not like an insult or anything. It's that no. she has tinnitus. Yeah, I have to have some kind of noise distraction to fall uh, asleep. The movie Baby Driver that's out right now, it's all about that. The kid has tinnitus, and so he's always listening to stuff, something. Or else he just hears the ringing in his ears. Yeah, and so he orchestrates these car chases and get away driving according to whatever music he's listening to. Mm -hmm. And so it, that's why the soundtrack is like 30 songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's all about that. It's about this ringing in the ears that it's difficult to sleep because you just hear this this pitched whine. It's very distracting. But the, And that's because there's like a certain tone that your brain can't hear, so it tries to make up for. And so if there's not other sounds going on, it's just whining in your ear. So yeah, when she falls asleep to a movie, that's why. Yeah. And so there's some background noise that won't have that pitched whine going on. Well, it's always something that I'm familiar with because that way I'm not interested in what's going to happen next. Yeah. Although generally that makes me just fall asleep faster. <laughs> Ooh, it's like, oh, what's I'm really going interested on? In <laughs> Wake up and it's the credits. Fuck! Yep. But, uh, yeah. It's, um, I love Milana. I love it. I just love it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yay! Woo! So what, dark track time? Dark track time. Okay, usually when I pick a dark track, it's to incorporate with the main topic. But in this instance, I thought one of the films we reviewed. And so it's the Spider-Man theme as sung by Richard Cheese. Oh, yes. And when I play a dark track, it's either a submission from the record label in association with, you know, being a DJ and promoting their music. Yep. Or it's something that's been offered by the artist for free. In which case, I figure, you know, they're probably not expecting royalties from something they're just giving away. As Richard Cheese presented his album, Hail to the Cheese, for free the 4th of July in 2012 through Facebook. You just go and nab it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so since... This track comes off that album. I thought, hey, let's play that since we discussed Homecoming. So here is Richard Cheese singing in his lounge fashion the theme song from the Spider-Man animated series. <laughs> so this yep. is Spider-Man. A web any size catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing? Spider-Man In the chill of night 
of light He arrives just in time Spider-Man, Spider-Man Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Wealth and fame he's ignored Action is his only reward to him Life is a great big bang up Wherever there's a hang up You'll find the spider I love the jazzy way that he did that because Spider-Man is very much a product of New York. Yes. And New York is very much uh, a part of jazz. Uh, jazz standards has very big jazz history like New Orleans does. I'll still take New Orleans jazz any yeah, day. Yeah, Memphis is pretty um, big on that too, but more yeah. blues. I was delighted when at the beginning of the Spider-Man Homecoming movie when they're doing the whole, you know, Marvel logo. They are playing a very sweeping orchestral instrumental version of the Spider-Man and theme it's song. it's super obvious because I don't think it orchestrates well oh, as no, a song. Oh, no, it doesn't. It absolutely yeah, doesn't. Yeah, it's just like, that's really <laughs> awkward and obvious because it it's basically the lead vocals that they're turning into the melody, mm -hmm. which in like a stringed horn orchestration just... It's like, whoa, that you really had to bend and shoehorn that in. You know, though, honestly, if we didn't know it was the Spider-Man theme song, I think we probably wouldn't have felt awkward. I don't think that we would have even You don't think it would understood. have just no. shown it to be a, a poorly orchestrated theme or something no. like that? Like the melody is less like, no, I think I, I would. I don't think like, that oh, I... just kind of weirdly sing-songy orchestration. I don't think that I would think that way at all. I think huh. because we know what it was and we know the words because we've heard the words all uh, our lives. It's actually, that, and there's no way to know because it's not like we can erase from our memory the exactly. Spider-Man theme. Well, the, I'll have a, to report back when I take my mom to see it yeah. uh, if and just really pay attention to it and see if I can distance myself from knowing the words yeah. and see how I feel about it. Because I really don't think that if you don't know it's a Spider-Man theme that you will feel weird about it you know but uh, i love richard cheese you know i love richard cheese yeah, i think and... a lot of people were exposed to richard cheese with the dawn of the dead remake mm -hmm. when he did down with the sickness the lounge version of that yep. featured on that soundtrack and that's basically what he does is he takes popular songs and does them in a lounge fashion uh which uh, he did a uh, lounge version of man in the mirror in the lego batman movie right and actually appears as mm -hmm. lego richard cheese yep it's great but then the Lego Batman movie is great. Best Batman film. Yeah, uh, yep. So I, I love this version. I think it's perfectly done. I, I just really love the jazz, the yeah. slow jazz version. It's nice and swanky. Yeah. I like it. It made me happy. Yep. Hello again, listeners. For those of you who don't remember us, because it's been a few weeks since we recorded, this is the Feminine Critique. It is. I am one of your hostesses, Emily, and with me is... The other hostess, Christine. Yay! She remembered her name and everything. Yep, I practiced. Makes sense. Scanners, to me, is kind of the more, um, like, the less emotional, but playing with the same idea. 
ideas, kind of, from this one, in a way. Bless you! Bless you! That's how I felt about that. Are you allergic that. to scanners? I am. Don't talk about it. That's fine. I'll keep Michael inside all to myself. I like that movies. Yeah. That movies. What's wrong with me? That's so good, sis. I'm a child. Uh, take as many people down with you as possible. Take well. as many. Spaghetti. Shoot out your spaghetti tentacles, and, and if you can't beat them... Spaghetti tentacle them. That's what I always say. Uh, and uh, on that note, we will say our goodbyes and um, give me that penmanship medal because I think I deserved it. I'm going to beat you with a shoe for it. <laughs> I had to beat him to death with his own shoe. I just had to end there. Good night, everybody. Okay, shall we get to the point yeah. now that it's the not too distant future? Yes. <laughs> on the moon this time. Yeah. Not Deep 13, but on the moon. Yeah, we're going to talk about Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Return. The Return. So what history do you have for us, babe? Okay, well, everybody, I'm not going to go through the entire history of the show because we will, we could do like five episodes yeah. on that. I'm not even kidding. How did The Return come about? Well, it started in many ways. Since about 2010, Joel Hodgson had been trying to bring it back, just spurred by fan appreciation of the cast and crew. Of course, he and Mary Jo Pale and Trace Bolow and Frank Conniff went and did Cinematic Titanic. Yes. Which is uh, sort of in the same vein. It's, it's kind of like Rift Tracks. Yeah. Uh, but different. Because with Rift Tracks, they don't even bother trying to put any other story in there. They're just three guys making fun of a film, and that's fine. Right. I'm totally down with that. Uh, Which is great, because they have an app, and so if you're watching a movie, mm -hmm. you can see if there's a riff tracks, and the software will actually pick up where you are in the film and just start from that yeah. part. It, it has, it's built with these uh, logarithms, algorithms, whatever you want to call them, that uh, even if you're just starting the movie, that it has a certain thing that it will pick up. It's like, oh, this is where the talking starts yep. for the riff tracks is when this sound happens. So it'll automatically so, sync with whatever yeah. film you're watching that they have a riff tracks for. Yeah. Of course, with things like Netflix picking up episodes of the original series and how crowdfunding had become an actual way to get things made. Oh, yeah, like uh, the Veronica Mars film? Yeah. That sort of thing? Exactly. Uh, he decided he wanted to try this, but he had to get the rights back, uh, which were still held by Jim Mellon and Best Brains. Uh-huh. In 2013, Joel was working really closely with Shout Factory, who uh, distributes the old episodes of MSD3K like the DVDs, yeah. etc., and uh, finally was able to complete negotiations with Best Brains and Jim Mallon. Uh, took him two years. Took him two years. That's actually a it. short amount of time for negotiating rights. Two years is like a week. <laughs> yeah. He started a Kickstarter campaign. A lot of people know this. He felt like that was the best way to go because of the style of the show and... He wanted the fans to have their input. Right. Because it was the fans that kept interest in this show going, even and, after it had disappeared. Yeah, because Netflix, they're really hands-off when it comes to the production of shows. Yeah, they're just like, here, go ahead. Yeah. Do what you want to do. And they just let you have free reign, and that's an amazing thing. So they're not like, you know, network TV. Yep. That just gives you 50 million notes. Well, well, they don't have to worry about advertisers, and so they don't mm -hmm. have to worry about where that income's coming from, because it's a subscription service. 
just he also wanted to show the world basically that there was a demand for this which you can't do with broadcast funding traditional broadcast funding so uh 2015 november the kickstarter was launched and they were seeking stop it two million dollars for the production of three episodes with stretch goals for additional funding for 12 episodes that they wanted to do joel was estimating each episode would take about 250 grand and (laughs) for a budget for a show isn't too bad the two million dollars was reached within a week oh i can imagine (laughs) and at the end of each episode 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 it lists the kickstarter backers Yes. You know, the big ones. And so there's just names upon names upon names. I'm I'm pretty sure that it's all of the backers. And there are a lot of them. Yes. Uh, and I will talk about that in a second. And actually, on the final day of the campaign, the Kickstarter campaign, uh, Joel and Shout Factory ran a streaming telethon that included appearances from uh, the new peeps who had been selected to be cast and crew. Right. And celebrities that supported the revival. Uh, to to try to exceed the funding for the 12 episodes. On December 11, 2015, the campaign ended, and the total funding of $5,764,229 came from 48,270 backers. And then that was not including an additional $600,000 in backer add-ons, which allowed them to plan two more episodes. And so we got 14 episodes instead nice. of 12. Which would include the Christmas episode. The Christmas episode. And this uh, does surpass the $5.7 million uh, that Veronica Mars got. Sweet. So that was awesome. And one of our favorites, Jonah Ray, plays uh, our main guy, our stupid guy in space. Yep. Now, some people might have not have been familiar with Jonah Ray from the start, but we knew him from Nerdist Industries and the Nerdist Podcast. Yeah, Because he's years. Chris Hardwick's yeah. friend. Mm-hmm. Did stand-up. Had... His own podcast called Jonah Radio for a while because he's he really knows a lot about punk music. He knows a lot about a lot of things. I think he worked at Tower Records for a while or one of those. Something like that. It was the other one that I forget Capital. the name of. It wasn't Capital. It was... Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'd have to look up. It doesn't matter. Move on. Yeah. He does Hidden America, which is a CISO series. Yeah. It's a... Sort of mockumentary show. Yeah, where it goes to cities and they kind of half improvise these bits about whatever city they're in, mm-hmm. like Boston or Chicago. Yeah, and of course, uh, Joel met Jonah Ray while recording an episode of The Nerdist. Big surprise there. Yep. And immediately thought, this is the guy. Yeah, because Jonah has a deep love for Mystery Science Theater. It's one of his comedy inspirations Mm -hmm. he grew up on them well and i think part of the appeal of the main guy is you have to be awkward and jonah is great at being awkward yeah just as mike was great at being awkward and joel was great at being awkward (laughs) so he's he's lovable and kind of hapless super tall he's scruffy Mm. i mean it's what you kind of expect of like a working class kind of guy but he's got a bit of that hipster thing so he can appeal to a younger audience yeah. Because if you're going to restart it, you got to restart it for a new generation. Absolutely. And there's often jokes about podcasts mm-hmm. in the writing because that's just how it's, we live now. Well, that's a big part of our, our collective consciousness now. Yep. Joel actually asked Jonah to recommend who they should cast for Crow Tom and, and Tom Servo. Yeah. And so he recommended comedians Hampton Yout and Baron Vaughn. I love Hampton Yout so yeah. much. He's adorable. I love Baron Vaughn too. 
because Joel thought it was important for Jonah to be familiar with the people he was going to work with and to oh, yeah. feel comfortable with them. And I'm sure from the comedy stage at Meltdown that Jonah also ran for several years with Camille Nanjiani. Yeah. It's like he he's in the inner circle with a lot of these stand-up comedians and both. Hampton and Barron are stand-ups. So all of these people, once they had been cast, they still didn't know who was going to be the big bad. Joel was working on that. Yeah. And then he he thought of Felicia Day because he met Felicia Day at Salt Lake Comic Con <laughs> in 2015. Oh yeah, bitches, it happened here. You're welcome. And she had made it very clear uh, her love for MSD3K. And she makes a fine villain. It's a role she's usually not playing. Usually she's mm-hmm. the she's sweet, sweet innocent girl. one. Oh, she's so good when she's bad. And there's something quite sexy about her it's really villainy. Hot. It is really hot. It's <laughs> the little fascist outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very cool. And like the tied up do. Yeah, really like it. I and so like her. And she sings too, which is always a bonus when it comes to Mystery Science Theater. Always. And so she plays Kinga Forrester, daughter of Clayton Forrester. Yep. Granddaughter of Pearl Forrester. <laughs> Of course, we all know Patton Oswalt was originally involved as a writer, but then as they were writing episodes, Joel's like, no, you need to be on camera, man. You need to be on camera. And so that's how he became TV's son of TV's Frank. Since his appearance in Dollhouse, we knew that he had acting chops. Yes, I had no idea until then. And I'm just like, oh my God, this guy's impressive. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. he appears in as well. Mm -hmm. He's just very natural on screen and has a good pathos to him. Absolutely. But yeah, he's he does a good TV Frank kind of character. He does. And he's secretly in love with Kinga. Well, not so secretly. Yeah. Um, everybody knows but her, apparently. Rounding out the live action people, we have Rebecca Hansen, who plays uh, Pearl's clone. Identical. <laughs> no, I thought uncanny. I thought it was Mary Jo for it's, it's the longest uncanny. time. Yeah, she's an alum of Second City, so... Uh, and she also does the voice of Gypsy. Sweet. So uh, she she gets to do those two things. And completely unsurprisingly, if you know anything about Jonah Ray or have ever listened to a variety of Nerdist podcasts, Harmar Superstar is the house band, <laughs> the skeleton crew. Yeah. And they were the house band at Jonah's wedding. And they are fantastic. Yeah, it's like a ska band. They, they all dress kind no, of like they do crazy everything. skeleton outfits. They they do a little bit of everything. Yeah. They're just amazing. I mean, there's like, what, 7 to 11 of them? And uh, they're called the Skeleton Crew, and they they have ridiculous uh, black kind and white Kind of stormtrooper-y style skeleton outfits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we do have Mary Jo Pell, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy cameo during the revival as their characters from the last series. Uh, which would be Pearl Brain Guy and Professor Bobo. Basically, Joel offered to have anybody who had been involved in the show in the past to make cameo appearances or help in the creative process. And um, everybody else is just kind of like, well, they got riff tracks too. So yeah, they they had other things. I'm sure they're super busy to begin with. So that and of course there are a lot of great big star cameos on the run of MSD3K: The Return. They did tweak the theme song because they had to make it match. So of course it's you know it's still the same words except there was a guy named Jonah. Uh huh. He worked for Gizmonic Institute, just another bug in a yellow jumpsuit. A distress call came in for him at half past noon. That's when an evil woman trapped him on the dark side of the moon. And it's funny because each episode they have to replay the <laughs> intro. so funny. And so they're having this little introduction thing, you know, the robots a and Jonah. A little cold open for each one. And then this 
the hose comes down and sucks Jonah up into the ship so they can replay the intro yep. each time, which is super goofy. It's so goofy, but so delightful. It just yeah. really is. And just not so original series with the doors opening, but they're more fanciful this time around. Like, there's a bathroom, and you see the toilet kind of fold down, yeah. and there's the bunks with the hammocks and the washing machines. and This one looks a like a tool workshop. Room. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that's oh, really fun. Really well done there. Yeah. They even do, like, commercial breaks, even though there's no commercial. I know, and it's adorable. Yeah, just to kind of feel the same as the original. But not not even just that, because they you got Harmar Superstar in there doing the music mm-hmm. for the for the intervals. And they, like a bit and of trivia. They're always playing some song that was created for the original MST3K. Nice. Because I know most of those songs. Yep. In fact, there's one that that's a really peppy one, and I know you would know it if you heard it, but it's actually a song from one of my favorite MSD3Ks ever, <laughs> which was The Final Sacrifice. Oh, yes. And it's the song that they sing about Canada <laughs> and how Tom Servo gets going, you know, really positive, and he's dressed as a Mountie, and he's just really like, Canada's great! And... Crow and Mike are just not playing along. <laughs> and so they're just like, oh, come on, just have some fun with it. And so, you know, it ends with him basically sing shouting while you lousy, you lousy, stinking, francophonic, bacon loving bastards. <laughs> Your country's just a giant piece of sh. No! <laughs> so, yeah, that's one of the songs that they play in the intervals, instrumental version, of course. Yeah. Let's talk about, speaking of songs, some of the songs. That are sung on the show. Or in this case, this well, it's kind of more like a rap. Oh, yeah. and Every nation has a monster sort of that thing. That one's really great. And there's somebody that does the art direction for the show that have these kind of wooden cutouts mm-hmm. for when Jonah wants to represent things in kind of a display form. Yeah. He is, wants to make dioramas. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like that. They're just these little kind of wooden cutouts. And they had a whole bunch of monsters. And I'd have to be handed and then set on the table in front of him mm-hmm. while rapping. It was unreal. I couldn't believe that they could do that in one take. I just, yeah. how they must have practiced. There was only one point where they got just a little bit slow and <laughs> then they corrected almost immediately. And yeah. I just thought, I'll be honest, when people who aren't like musicians for a living try to do rap or a song or something, they quite often get ahead of or behind the music, more often ahead of. Yeah. Well, I know Jonah plays drums, mm-hmm. and so he's familiar with rhythm and beat. Yeah, they fucking nailed that. And I hold that to, in my heart as the best original song from this season. It's really good. Uh, speaking of drums, the first episode, he's mm-hmm. piloting his ship by, by using the drums. drums. Yeah. It's, it's his piloting thing, and he's like an ace pilot. Yeah. And they're all impressed with him. Oh, yeah. We should talk about the people who were in Mission Control. (laughs) I can't remember. Like Aaron Gray. Oh, yes. Yeah. Whom people might know as Wilma Deering in the Buck Rogers television series from the 70s, early 80s. She was also in uh, Friday the 13th, the one where Jason is a worm. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't get through that one. Yeah, I can't get through that one. Uh, She also, she actually was on Silver Spoons for many years. Yeah, she was. She has been in a few episodes of Vic Mignogna's Star Trek Continues nice. as an admiral, and I just get a kick out of her. And so she's in there, 
uh, as one of the supervisors, and she's talking to Will Wheaton. <laughs> of course, you're going to get Will Wheaton in oh, there. He's good friends with Chris Hardwick, who's a good friend with yeah, Jonah Ray. They're all just good friends, and it's delightful. Will Wheaton's coming to Salt Lake Comic Con. Anyway, I know I said that already. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Wheaton Watch from Boardcast. Yes, the Wheaton Watch. I'm so ready. That just sets you up, and you're just already like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I just really enjoy it. In fact, I sing along with the theme song every fucking time. Yeah, why every not? Every time. It's a fun theme song. It is a fun theme song. Once I finally learned all of the new words. Uh, they still have the inv- invention exchange. Yes, and that is something that they actually got rid of towards the end of the series once they went to sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, once the Comedy Central decided it was going in a new direction and is all the worse for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, sorry Comedy Central, you ain't what you used to be. <laughs> mm. That was something that carried on through the their run on uh, on Comedy Central. And I don't know if it changed exactly when they went to sci-fi, but it did disappear uh-huh. where there wasn't the invention exchange anymore. Yeah. So it, it's nice to see that again because it's always ridiculous. Yep, it's funny. I think my favorite one from the Mads was uh, those bunnies that like to be punted. <laughs> yes. So funny fucking funny (laughs) (laughs) it was just so dark and wrong and wonderful at the same time (laughs) what's our favorite episode uh von gary young gary young gary actually it's young gary younger 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 so y-o-n-g-a-r-y yeah it's a south korean godzilla knockoff yep with the precocious kid who likes to point this weird itching ray at people. <laughs> and that's how it starts. And this whole capsule going into space thing that ends up meaning nothing. Capsule, 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 capsule. Oh, uh, we were dying. Yeah, because what, the male lead is an astronaut, I guess? Yeah, but he really isn't the male lead, is he? Yeah. It ends up being... The younger guy, who, mm. and and just he's just like I don't understand what is going on here. It's a mess of a movie. It's but a mess. It is, their riff, their riffing is hilarious. Yeah, the major monster suddenly dances for no apparent reason mm-hmm. in front of the kid, and it's like, why? Why, why is this happening? Yeah, it's just really dumb. And it's... when, what, is that when Jan Gary dies and it's like horrible? It is so bad. And there's it's like, like oh blood everywhere and they just slowly torture this critter to death. Yeah, that was that was pretty horrifying. Everybody's like, yay! But the riffs are just, they're on point, man. They it's really, really are. really funny. It's just consistently funny throughout. Avalanche was a fun one. Oh my god, yes, the Rock Hudson Mia Farrow thing. Oh my god. Uh, I'd forgotten about that one. Guy on the phone half the time. <laughs> oh, it was, there was just, there was, it was just so much fun. All of them were. And they they even did a couple of, um, oh god, what's his name? You know, Land the Time Forgot. Oh yeah. Um, and the yeah. drill one that was a ripoff of Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yes, I forget that actress. Troy McClure? Troy McClure, that's it. Two of those. I think I can't stand Troy McClure. <laughs> yeah, he's... Or is it Doug McClure? It might be Doug, because I think Troy McClure is the is one from The Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah, it's Doug. Doug McClure. Doug McClure. Can't stand that guy. Never yeah. liked him. Even as a kid, he annoyed me. But but what a surprising performance from Peter Cushing in that one. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, unlike I've ever seen him. Kind of a doddering racist professor. Yeah, funny that. Yep. Every episode is delightful. Younger is the best, in our opinion. But Yeah, and, it's hilarious. And we 
we tried to space them out, but we just couldn't. It got to the point where we were at the final three or something, and we just just burned right through them. Yes, I just want, I just want them. I want them. I want more. Yeah, I want more too. We should, we should watch through them again. We could. Yeah, we definitely could. There's nothing stopping us. Because God knows I've seen Final Sacrifice about 20 yeah. times, and I still love it. Well, sometimes there's jokes you don't pick up the first time around. Oh, absolutely. So. And they they are at that beginning level where they have, like, a joke every other second. They're going to get tired of that. Yeah. They are going to become exhausted by that. <laughs> because that's what happened to Rift Tracks. They're just like, oh, remember in the old days when we used to do jokes like every other second? Yeah, we realized we were working way too hard. Yeah, there's no reason to, like, pack it too full. But you just want the choice riffs to, to happen at proper moments. There's so many choice ones. Yeah. So many choice jokes. So, uh, I love it. And let's talk about the Christmas episode. Okay, uh, this is actually our friend Emily. She loves this Christmas movie. I think she watches it every year. It's yeah. fucking bonkers. It is horrible. The Christmas That Almost Wasn't, is that? The Christmas That Almost Wasn't, yes. Right. And I watched it a year and a half ago or so, Christmas of 2015, because I was looking for Christmas movies on Amazon. I was just in a Christmas spirit mood. Yep. And this one was highly rated. And I watched it. And I watched the whole damn thing. And I'm just like, Why? Why is this so highly rated? It is just a story about Santa's house getting repossessed. What the fuck is this? Yeah, and the songs are horrible. So bad. Especially the one about Mr. Prune. Oh, honey, that song is longer in the actual full kind of movie. Oh, woof. There are things that were taken out of that movie to make it fit in the time allotted for the episode. Yeah. And believe me, you weren't you aren't missing anything. What they took out was like the worst. <laughs> so So yeah, Santa goes to a lawyer to find if he can keep his home that's belonging to this guy that hates Christmas and children. Yep. And you know, before the movie even really got going and I thought this guy hates Christmas and children because Santa didn't bring him a present. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And of course, that's what it that's is. That's what it is. Because really, isn't that the same as Santa Claus is coming to town with Burger Meister Meister Burger? Yeah. Saw that one coming up <laughs> a mile away. Yeah. It is a horrible movie. I do not understand it Emily. It's terrible. It's just Well, she delights in horrible films and I think that one Yeah, but it's just not just her. her. It's not just her because that movie Fancy. had like a four star rating on Amazon. That's crazy. Amazon ratings are weird. Yeah. I don't understand them. I don't either. I think people are crazy. Yeah. Which is a good explanation. But that that movie was only bearable again because of Jonah and the bots. Otherwise it I probably would have just Yeah, on its own it'd be unwatchable. Yeah. It is. And yet I watched it because I just kept thinking, this can't be all that there is to this. Oh, God, that's all there is to this movie. Yep. Dear God. So. Go to Himmel. I love the return. I like the production of it. I like that it takes place on the moon. I like how they deal with the advantage exchange and the movie experiment itself. The little bits that they do with Jonah and the robots. You know, they'll do a song or a sketch. I mean, it's all in loving tradition to the original. Indeed. It's, uh... It just feels right, but it's also restructured somewhat for a younger audience. It's hipper. Yeah, well, when you have 
uh, the amount of experience that Joel has had. And, oh, I totally didn't touch on the fact that there is a person that sends the movie to Jonah and the bots. And that's Joel yeah, in he's his big spacesuit. And he's our hazmat movie costume. in the hole. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and Star Crash. Star Crash. Star Crash. Uh, with that plumber guy. Or the heroine Chris, who keeps losing bits of Yeah, what's his first thing? Christopher, Christopher Plummer. Plummer. God, yes. Yeah, and we had actually seen that movie before. Oh, yeah. I, w- so funny. Without riffing. Mm-hmm. The Black Dog podcast reviewed it a while back. But yeah, um, our heroine, heroine who keeps losing bits of her clothing. So yeah. didn't she have more straps on that it's outfit like, earlier? Suddenly she took some straps off to sit down and pilot the no, ship? No, basically she's walking around in a black bikini. Mm-hmm. The robot with the like Texan accent. Oh, God. It's so it's a terrible movie. The weird sorcerer. But David Hasselhoff showing his uh, stage combat training. Yeah, which was impressive. Yeah. And it, that struck us the first time that we watched it because we're just like, whoa, like, he's good at this. Why wasn't he one of the lead guys yeah. all along? Because he actually knows how to fight with the sword. Yeah, instead we've got scary, overly tanned American Tom Baker in there. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, with his curly blonde fro. And of he, course, he they, looks like Mr. Body if he left him in the oven. They did make a Greatest American Heroes joke because it, it had to be done. It did it look like had that. To be done. Isn't Sid Hagen that too? Yes, he's as the, the villain. He's the baddie. Yeah. Or no, that's, that's Spinell. Oh, yeah, Joe Spinell. Sorry. Joe Spinell from Maniac. They do have sort of the same kind of look. Yeah. A little bit. Um, it was something else. Yeah. So they they found some truly horrifying movies. Oh, uh, in a weird way, it's kind of got a Guardians of the Galaxy vibe to it. It, li- it does a little bit. It's like they, they had done that in the 70s. Yeah, they were trying so hard to capitalize on Star Wars. Yeah. And yeah, it just... And there was so much overdubbing, you know, so much ADR that mm-hmm. just wasn't synced well. Stop the flow of time. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the and Amazon women. The, oh, God, the Amazon women. The giant robot. Yeah. Kind of had a Jason of the Argonauts kind of vibe to it, too. It it really did, and it's very sort of... It's like Jason and the Argonauts in space. And then there's bad guys, uh, twin robots with the swords that David Hasselhoff has to fight. That They look like they are statues from Kathmandu or something. (laughs) It's so weird. Yes, indeed. So we're not going to obviously talk about every single episode because uh, no. there's 14 and we'd be here all day. But I yeah, just... just touching on the ones that stand out, like the Cowboys versus Dinosaurs thing that took a long time the to get to the dinosaur. The Hollow Mountain. Yeah, it took a long ass time to get to the dinosaur. Yeah. But boy, was that slow. Yeah. It takes a while. There's some really great jokes in that one. Yeah. They all have great jokes. Any other standouts? Uh, the Time Travelers. Uh, they create that uh, that oh, window into another time, right. and then with the freakish androids that they create. Yes. And so there's severed limbs all over the place. So wrong. So and then wrong. you have, I guess, a rebellion. Well, and there were some really impressive visual shots in that because of how they, you know, it's obviously a person pretending to be an android, and then they lay them down on a table, and and in what seems like one continuous shot, they take off their arm or their leg or some shit like that. And I'm like, I still can't figure out how they did that. And that was really what it was. It's less of an actual feature film as it is a special effects 
display. Yeah, it's like, look what we can do. We're not going to give you a very good story or anything, but we wanted to impress you with this. Yeah, it was more of like an experiment in special effects just to see what they could get away with. Yeah. But story-wise, it's, ugh, boring. Very much so. Long, long scenes of people taking androids apart. Yeah, so many so many scenes of that. Then there was the loves of Hercules where we get to live. Oh, that was a favorite of mine too. Look at, um, uh, you know, <laughs> boobs. Really big boobs. Yeah. Super huge boobs. Yeah. Jane Mansfield's boobs. Uh, that woman was built. Oh yeah. And she died so young. And she's so sad. Had that cupie doll mouth too. Yeah. She was, she was like a perfectly sculpted woman. Yep. Very she's curvy. Absolutely gorgeous. And yeah. really fake monsters. Really fake monsters. Like paper mache style fake monsters, like a three-headed dragon. Yeah, it's like, okay, now go over and, and pretend like you're hitting this side of the hydra, but please don't damage it. Don't, actually, don't actually pierce its skin, because that's the last thing we need. Uh, and of course, she was in that with her then-husband. They didn't stay married. He still loved her. Because when she passed away, he actually made sure that she had a really lovely headstone for her grave. So, you know, things like that yeah. can matter. So, yeah, Mickey Hargitay was her husband. And the thing about him is that when he picks up a heavy thing, they made it actually heavy. Oh, you could see him squatting to try mm-hmm. to keep balance. Yeah, he, like, picks up this tree uh-huh. to use it as a battering ram. And I'm like, fucking hell, that is a real fucking tree because... You can see his muscle straining, and especially when he tosses it aside after he's broken through these gates. Uh-huh. You can tell when somebody's tossing aside something that's made of styrofoam. And yep. this, I mean, the way it fell onto the ground, it was real. Yeah, he'd so. have to squat walk like a crab to mm-hmm. carry these heavy items. Yeah. He's like, holy shit, he's really carrying something heavy. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, uh, there's a, what, TV, were they TV movies that were, that fantasy with the kid and Wizards the Wizards? Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. Yeah, those were weird. I don't know if they were TV movies or not. They so... just had a weird TV movie vibe to them. Let's see. I'm not 100% It didn't sure. seem like something that was designed for the cinema. The first one is hilarious because it's got Tom Christopher in it, who I finally recognized that halfway through the film because he was Hawkman and Buck Rogers. Oh, yes, that's right. And I loved him as Hawkman. I finally got to see him with hair. Never seen him with hair. And did the second one have one of the Carradines? Uh, it had David, yes. Yeah. The the Carradine. The, the Carradine. Yeah, the Carradine. Well, they're not really giving me a whole lot of information. Yeah, it just felt like a TV movie. It's difficult to find out. And even the credits. But there was a time credits looked like that even for a feature film, you know. Well, the first one is 1985. It was rated PG. And there's just not a lot of information about the release or anything. There's like crew listed and cast listed and the release year, but that is about it. Okay. There's not much else there. There's anything more about the one four years later. PG, our That was 1989? Yep. Oh, dear Lord. There's no excuse for that low level of production in 1989. My God, the Berlin Wall was crumbling. But yeah, again, not... Oh, wait, (laughs) here we go. Yeah, release date March 1989, United States. Doesn't say it was a TV movie, so it looks like it was a terrible theatrical release. Jeepers. 
Yep. Maybe I didn't go far down enough with this one. But yeah, I, it was fun to see Tom Christopher in there. Details. October 1985. Countries of origin. Argentina and United States. <laughs> so, yeah, they were not TV movies. They were theatrical they films. Were theatrical releases, huh? Yep. Wow. Because I remember there was a time when they'd produce something for TV, but also create a film for cinematic release, like they did that with Buck Rogers. I think they did that with Battlestar Galactica. Uh, they're doing that with the first episode, or the, the premiere episode of The Inhumans. It's going to be in theaters. That's right. That's the next upcoming Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Not film. Film. Series. Yeah, but it's going to be released in theaters, right? It's the TV episode, the first TV episode shown in theaters. It wasn't made for theaters. Okay. They're showing it in Cause, theaters. Because I heard somebody else talk about it like it was going to be a feature film, and I got confused. It's not. It's a, it's a television show. Okay. That will start in September. All right. It is a weekly show. I think they might have been confused. Yeah, I think they were too. I don't know. I don't... It doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah it's a television series. Right. Television. Okay. I think those are the only films they riff that really stand out. Well, I think they all stand out in their own way, but it would take too long to go through yeah. all of them. I mean, like as favorites, because there's ones yeah. that are funny. They're just kind of wash over you and you forget about them after you're done. Which is why I would like to watch them again, because like you said, there are always things that you miss. Yeah. The first go through. There's shorts from time to time. Those are fun. Yeah. I always enjoy the shorts. The shorts are the best. Gotta love the shorts. All right. Is that enough talking about the Mystery Science Theater, the return, do you think? Uh, yes, I look forward to season two. I do too. And it was well received. I haven't heard a whole lot of people complain about it. And even they would poke fun at themselves about having the new guy or mm -hmm. having the robots not be the original voices, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. It, they were very aware of that and it had some nice meta jokes about that. And including Gypsy Moore and making it less of a misogynistic kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Where she's like the, the servant around the place. It's like, yeah. yeah. She's like, yeah, it was ridiculous to have all of this hose trailing around. So I put her up on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Now she can just drop down wherever she wants. Yeah. And often does. Though that's always weird when her, she drops down during the actual film. Because you're just waiting for her joke. Because that's the only reason she's dropping down. No, she's bringing in uh, what looks like a garbage can. Oh, yeah. I so think, she, like, I think she comes in, br brings some props for them to use during the film. That's what it seems like. Cause... No, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Okay. I'm pretty sure that it's like a garbage can thing. But let's find it's like out. Soon after they use these props, and I guess you have to watch the silhouettes more to see how they do that. Because, like, if there's you know, swords and sandals fight going on, they'll grab swords and be fighting themselves as silhouettes. I think she drops, like, a suitcase-y kind of thing that has props for them to play with. And then when they're done, she takes it back up again. There's... Give me a second, because there's information on this. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake, don't play a goddamn ad! <laughs> God, I hate you. Ad blocker. <sighs> Please stop. Please clap. Oh, my God. <laughs> The never-ending ad? I can't make it stop. Okay, give me a second. I, I don't want to ruin the surprise of who the guest stars are if you don't know. Oh, good, because I was considering saying some of it. And now I don't have to. Because, yeah, there's some surprise cameos. All that Joel has said about it is that she's delivering the payload. <laughs> right. And then taking the payload back up. I don't know what that means! Because, yeah, it seems to me she, she brings them... Props, they play with the props, they return the props, and then she takes the case away. Yeah, that is, that's not what he said. He just said payload. That could mean just about anything. 
I don't think he knows what the payload is. Okay. Because, yeah, it calls into question what she's doing every time she does it. And I and think I, that I get uh, distracted by it. Joel is enjoying that, that uh, he doesn't he doesn't do tell everyone what it is because he doesn't know. Okay. Because, yeah, sometimes I missed exactly what she was referring to because I was looking at her silhouette rather than what she was making fun of. Because there's a bit where somebody puts a hat on a filing cabinet and she says, hey, now you're Mr. Filing Cabinet. <laughs> and if you're not looking at the filing cabinet, you miss the joke. You're yes. just going, that's a weird non sequitur. What the heck? Yeah, I have no idea. Well, it's just a way so to there's... incorporate her, which I don't mind yeah. incorporating Gypsy in the riffing. Yeah. I just think they could do so in a less distracting fashion somehow. We may never know. Everybody has a theory. There yeah. are people who have pos- posited the theory that it is props and things like that, but with no, there is no official explanation yeah. other than it's the payload. And so it calls question to itself. It's like, why is she doing that? What is that? Because Joel is having a field day with all of us discussing it. That's why. Okay. He is laughing his ass off. Well, then it's one of those weird um, oh Kaufman. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. Uh, Andy Kaufman. That, like, if it's a joke for only you, it's not a joke. <laughs> no, you know, the, if you're the only person laughing at, at it, then... But that's the joke. The joke is, is that he's made us all wonder, and he doesn't have an answer for us because he doesn't know what it is. Okay. That's the joke, and he's laughing his butt off because we're spending so much time thinking about it and talking about it. Yeah, but yeah, it's like an Andy Kaufman thing. Like when he did that special where he had the tracking go bad on the screen, and so people would get up and adjust their tracking, but it wasn't a thing. But like, who, who's that for? You're the only one laughing at that because you're the only one in the know. So it's like a practical joke only you know of. Is it still funny? Well, let's think about practical jokes, really. Yeah, true. Uh, are they for the people that the joke is played on? No. Yeah. They're for the people perpetrating said jokes. It's a very selfish thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thing about Kaufman I didn't quite get. It's like, yeah, but you need you need people in on the joke to make it funny. I mean, oh, well. Maybe that's just me. Anyhow, I guess that's the close of the Mystery Science Theater discussion of the return. Yeah, we ended on kind of a, huh. No. Yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> something that, you know, calls attention to itself. It's like, okay, what's Gypsy doing and why is she doing it? I get that it's a way to introduce her to do a riff. I don't mind that. I just think they could do so more elegantly. Include her more elegantly? I don't know. I just always thought it's it's uh, the movie theater trash. She's bringing in a new bin. Oh, okay. they're gonna fill it up while they're watching the movie, and yep. then she's gonna take it away when it's full. Yeah, that that was in my mind what she was doing. I, I don't, I honestly don't care that I much. I have to watch the silhouettes more closely to see if they go over to it and bring out props from it. Yeah, and see, I've never noticed them going over to it and bringing out props. Whenever I've, they've had props, they've just been there. Yeah, I've noticed Crow on occasion go over there, but. Hmm, it's something to see. There was the, there was that time they were playing fetch with Crow. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. now that uh, Servo has floaters, you know, he can just hover in the theater. Which is funny because the their explanation for that in the original series was that there were air vents in the floor and Tom couldn't have, he couldn't go over them. So that's why Mike or Joel had to carry him in yep. and set him down. And now he can hover which allows him to float up and do physical things to the screen. Which are usually really funny. Yeah, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Most but when they the time, work, they're pretty good. Most of the time they work. Like when there were the two hats on the table, 
and he was using them as trampolines and uh-huh. bouncing back and forth. That was funny. Or when he and Crow would have like bits of cardboard and they could use that for censorship. Mm-hmm. If there's a nude scene, they'd have to block the, the butt or the boobs. Yep. There was that one scene in, I think it was the Time Travelers, where uh, there's a woman behind a screen and Tom goes up there. He's trying to look down. He's like, oh, it's just a naked woman. <laughs> <laughs> What's the fun in that? <laughs> Something to that effect. Yep. All right. Well, shout outs. Shout outs. Hey! hey. My shout out is to Alan Wilby. He just recently asked to join the Dark Corner podcast group and has been liking our posts. So welcome, Alan. Welcome. Glad you're not a bot. We appreciate yep. it. <laughs> well, I saw that he was also friends with Lee and some of our other podcastings like Jim. Yeah. Know, our podcasting family. A family. A yep. widow family. Thanks. A family. Thank you, Alan, for liking yeah. our podcast. We're not sure why you like it, but thank you. <laughs> Somebody has to. So I guess I guess that's true. Somebody's got to like this shit. Yep. So, and my shout out is to um, Brandon Shea Matella, who is a Canadian friend that I made through the Twilight Zone podcast. Sweet. And he does a podcast called Melodic Tricks. You might have heard me mention it before. And uh, if I if you haven't heard me mention it before, then I am going senile. Anyway, he's part of this uh, network of Star Trek podcasts called Trek FM. They're really uh, well respected. Have basically five star ratings for everything. Uh, it's if there's a podcast for everybody on that. Yeah, there's even a non Star Trek yeah. podcast on this Star Trek yeah. podcast hub. The, the Six O Two Club, where yeah. I think. The Academy hangs out. The Academy recruits. Anyway, I'll remember that reference after we're done recording. It's like Star Trek fans talking about things other than Star Trek. Yeah. He's good people. He's good people. And they enjoy his podcast. I heard your episode where you were talking about, was it? Leonard Rosenman. Yeah, that's right. Who did the music for Star Trek 4. We didn't talk about Star Trek 4 music because he'd already talked about that in previous podcasts. So we talked about Leonard Rosenman's other works, mm-hmm. two of which, uh, two like things Sybil. were very, yeah. very familiar to me. Uh, yes, yeah, Sybil, oh God. Yeah, and how Trauma. discordant it was. And, yeah. uh, and he did that a lot in his music, where he would play two notes, and they seemed like they were the same note, but they were just, one was just slightly off. Yeah. Producing this discordant, unpleasant feeling in you, which was the point. Yep. So, so yeah, that was a very good episode. I, I said something too often, uh, a word I can't remember if it was absolutely, but it probably was. Uh, that happens even just daily life. Yeah, but it becomes really, really noticeable in a podcast. Um, notice with Lee, he likes to say literally. When he so. means figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a thing with you, but yeah. It's, People it doesn't, just pick it, up on certain, or you mean, or I mean, or... Yeah, what, well, I've know. gotten over the whole I mean thing, even though it's being used in the wrong way. I just don't even care anymore. I don't have the energy <laughs> to care. But when you're using literally just as emphasis, that is not okay. If it's not literally what you're talking about in a literal sense... Then find another way to add gravity to it. Stop saying literally when it's not literal. <laughs> and it, well, I hate most when authors do that. Oh, because they should know better. Oh, my I get it God. if it's in dialogue, but if it's in text, if it's, if in, it's in prose. This was in description. Yeah, that, that's... and I can't remember what book it was, and it was a book I didn't like, so yep. it doesn't matter. But uh, it was a scene where 
they were describing driving really quickly in this Jeep, and the phrase was, the Jeep literally ate up the road. No, no it didn't. It did not. Jeeps don't have mouths and cannot eat. <laughs> and even if using they could, his tires to shovel up the road and feed it into its gas tank. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. So that's one of those things that's just a really big pet peeve for me, and I'm not going to let it go, guys. I'm sorry. I'm no. not going to let it well, go. Your grammar is very important to you. Same with VK Lynn, who's a, a singer buddy of ours. And a teacher. And now she's doing burlesque, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, she anyway, wears many hats. Got off and topic. And takes them off her body. Uh, Bichet, you're awesome, buddy. And thanks for having me on your podcast. Even though the internet went down like four times. By the way, solved that problem now. Yay! Uh, (laughs) But now the problems are when I'm trying to do podcasts, is the power going out? Well, you can't help if a transformer blows up. That's beyond our control. No, I can't. But these things always happen to me when I'm doing something uh, that's very important to me. And hoping to make myself useful to a group of people that I would like to be involved with. Yep. It's frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Yes. Upsetting. Plus, it's the fucking middle of summer, and it's really hot out there. Yeah, it got super warm. We had to open up windows and doors to just even let the stuffiness out. Yeah, and I had to close the front door to go to bed. I left the kitchen window open, yeah. and I still just slept very fitfully because the power didn't come back on until about 3.30 in the morning, and I was miserable for pretty much all of the night. Yeah, it was pretty sweltering. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Brandon Shay. Yeah, you're the best. <laughs> He's like, God, why? Just stop talking about me in this context. Stop talking. All right, then. So we'll see you in a fortnight. Yes, go so. And where we'll talk about something yeah. or other. Yeah, something will come to mind and we'll discuss it. And discuss. Bye. Bye. The intro to the Dark Corner podcast is starting over again by the Dolly Rocks. The outro is Closure by Chemical Waves. You're listening to them right now. Have feedback? Send it to thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at the Dark Corner Podcast Facebook group and the Dark Corner Podcast fan page. Follow us on Twitter at Dark Corner Cast. If you have the chance, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Why not also check out other fine podcasts on gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. Speaking for Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice, I've been Evil Dave. Thanks for listening. Gentlemen's Grindhouse Records.com